Of course it is a good morning. Nice to see you all. Today we're going to continue with our series on finding the answer from God in the time of our storms. And I'm going to be looking at hearing God in the text. Not a text from AT&T, but a text from G.O.D. And so I pray that as we worship together today that you will be blessed. Let's pray. God, we are here because we want to hear from you. You promised that we will. Speak to all our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to the Lord for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He parted the heavens and came down. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. Now there are times when that psalm is for you. When you go to the word in your storm and you find a text that speaks exactly what you want to hear. And the word you hear speaks into your life from something out of your experience and it's enough for you to ride through that storm. Praise God for the word. But there are other times that you go to the text, this text, and it's different. It's not a psalm of rejoicing. It probably isn't even what you want to hear. Does it mean that God is not speaking to your circumstances then? How should we hear from God? Today I invite you to join me as we listen closely and learn from one man's experience in Matthew 19, 16 to 22. So Jesus and his disciples are in Judea and a man experiencing a storm 
comes to him in desperation. Teacher, what good thing shall I do to have eternal life? Like an expert negotiator seeking a new investment opportunity, this man asks about salvation as if it is a desirable object that one may purchase. Using his usual method of question and explanation, Jesus replies, why do you ask me about the good? There's only one good person that is. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. The man misstates his question and the teacher restates it and refocuses it. God is the only one good. And rather than having or getting eternal life, Jesus invites the man to enter into life. Enter suggests that salvation is an experience, not an achievement. Jesus is gently leading him to the truth about what he asks. But the conversation is already tense because this man is a Jew who knows the scriptures and knows that in Leviticus 18, the Bible says that those who keep the law will live. So why is he asking Jesus that question again? And then Jesus makes it even more complicated because he tells the man what to do in response to his question, what to do to keep the commandments. But Matthew 1, 21 says that it is Jesus who saves us from our sin. So what is the relationship between keeping the commandments and salvation through Jesus? So Jesus tells him what to do. And he is enticed by the idea of doing something in order to get what he wants. So he probes which ones in verse 18. Which ones? Whether this question reflects that he is legalistic or he's genuinely seeking clarification, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But Jesus wants him to hear his word. And so he patiently complies with the man's request for precision and certainty. And he lists the commandments, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 5, in that order. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And then Jesus adds, love your neighbor as yourself. With mixed emotions, this young man says with characteristic youthful exuberance, I have kept all those things. But what do I still lack? Jesus just details the commandments about human relations, but the man misses the point that Jesus is trying to refocus his affections from things toward people. His response characterizes him as one who is meticulously compliant with the law. And then 
Jesus tries one final strategy to get him to hear his word. He speaks to him lovingly, firmly, but he uses language that he suspects this man will understand. He said, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. When Jesus says keep the commandments and sell your possessions, does he mean that there are two levels of discipleship? Two routes to salvation? And is he asking everyone to sell? Throughout the conversation, we hear Jesus restating what this young man says because he doesn't appear to either hear what Jesus is saying or understand. Each restatement is to try to get him to hear and a warning that he needs to change the way he thinks. Jesus uses the word sell as a way to get him to hear God's view about people, about relationships, about life. To move him to introspection so that he will recognize that his pursuits are conflicting and that his goal as a human is not what he thinks that it is. God wants us to hear his voice in his word, not our voice. So the young man came expecting to trade one thing for another, a good deed for eternal life. And Jesus is asking him to sell all things and invest in people. What started as a pretty simple question, a pretty simple request for help, is now a complex and intense negotiation. And that storm that was brewing inside that man when he came, it's now raging. And so when he hears the word from Jesus, finally he hears, he goes away grieving, for he has many possessions some versions say, and the NIV says he had great wealth. The rich man's storm is about salvation and wealth. And so Jesus makes the link in Matthew 19, 19 and 21 to help him to understand. Keep, your, keep the commandments, sell your possessions. And he leaves too soon. I almost wish that I was there so I could say to him, wait, don't rush away. Jesus will explain. I can tell, and I'm sure you can too, that this is not a happily ever after. Because the young man's question was not strong enough to lead him to action, he failed in his quest. What a tragedy. He walks away because he does not understand eternal life. 
He does not understand what Jesus means by keep the commandments. He does not understand what it means to be perfect or mature or complete. That word can be be translated as any of those. For the rich man, eternal life is something you have. And it depends on your efforts, your capability. Jesus invites him and us to be perfect, to be mature, to be complete, to be whole. What the young man wants and what Jesus offers is impossible by human means or stratagem. But had he persevered in the word, had he persevered in the word that he heard, he would also hear Jesus' life-changing gospel message, which came in response to Peter's question, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the assurance that the rich young man needs to ease the tension, to calm his fears about eternal life. Jesus' words highlight his powerlessness, but powerlessness, but God's power. Only God can produce the results to truly satisfy the human quest, not our effort. So God is wanting to offer him a more consistent and more complete life experience. To accomplish this, Jesus invites him to a trade in verse 21. Jesus invites him to trade human purchasing power for divine power. Commodity for community and disconnection for discipleship. But he refuses to follow Jesus, so he chose the way of evil. For Matthew twelve thirty tells us that whoever is not with Jesus is against him. As we learn to hear God in the word, though, you and I, it is helpful for us to understand more of why he did not hear what Jesus wanted him to hear. It's also helpful for us to hear more of what Jesus would have wanted him to hear and therefore how we can hear better as well. So what made it difficult for the rich young man to hear? Why did he not hear what Jesus was saying? He seems genuinely interested in seeking assurance of salvation. He didn't appear that he just wanted Jesus to pat him on the back and say how well he's doing for keeping the commandments. He really wanted to do the right thing. But he seemed conflicted. You could tell from the way he asked the question that there was an insatiable hunger and thirst in his soul to find fullness, to find something more. There must be more to life than this. Despite all I have, he had that hunger, that thirst, but he refused to follow Jesus. Sometimes we're quick to say that he didn't follow Jesus because he loved his riches more than he loved Jesus. That he loved money, that he's secular, that he's, he's young, he doesn't know the value of money. 
But is, is it that simple? Is it ever that simple? Do you always do what you want to do? Do you always make wise choices? Isn't it the case that sometimes you decide, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be better, I'm going to make that decision, I'm going to make that, but you don't? Isn't that Paul's struggle in Romans that the very good that I want to do, I don't do, and the thing that I don't want to do, that is what I do? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Isn't that the struggle of humanity? So is it that simple that this rich young man is just foolish and just doesn't love Jesus? I think perhaps there's something underlying what we see. There usually is, isn't there? And I think the problem is the way he thinks. Listening, listening to him plea for specific confirmation that you will be saved. Which ones? When you listen to him, you can hear that this guy is particular. He is precise. He is proactive. He has a beautiful mind. Excellent thinker. But he's a calculated thinker. This plus that equals that. If that, then that. Input, process, output. No exceptions. That is the way he thinks. And this mindset has obviously served him well. Not a problem. It has made him rich. Rich, young, important people do not always have time for details and may be selective in what they hear. And so if he comes to Jesus in his crisis of faith, sell your possessions is the last thing that he wants to hear, but it may very well be the only thing that he hears because that's his language. In his mind, sell your possessions is completely opposite to what he thinks life should be all about. Life should be about more, not less. Gain, not loss. So why is Jesus telling him that in response to his question? Do you think he should sell his possessions? How can he? Could you? How easy would it be for you to sell all your possessions and follow Jesus? The rich man's possession is his security. That's his flourishing. That's his worth. That is what makes him who he is. To sell his possessions is to lose himself entirely. But Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross, follow me. Because if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake you will find it. Matthew 16, 24 to 25. But we still have that nagging question. What do I mean that's his mind, that's the problem? How is it that the young man's encounter with Jesus leaves him grieving? What, what's he grieving about? Because he has many possessions. If he loves his possessions more than he loves Jesus, then go. What are you crying about? Jesus said, if you wish, you can do this. If you wish, you don't wish, then go. You don't need to cry, right? 
But Matthew gives us a larger clue in verses 23 and 24. He says, Jesus made a solemn declaration in response to the disciples' questions. He said, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now it's easy for you and I to say that Jesus is condemning this rich man just because he is rich. But Jesus loves the rich. Jesus died for the rich. And thanks to one rich man, Joseph, Jesus got a decent burial in a new tomb in Matthew 27, 57. What Jesus is doing, he's explaining to his disciples that he understands how difficult it is for the rich person to choose to be his disciple. Even if the rich person makes a choice, he says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke the word. Matthew 13, 22. So Jesus is suggesting that the rich need special love and special care in order to be able to make that decision. So the rich man leaves prematurely because Jesus' offer doesn't sit well with his index cause to effect mindset. That is the way his mind works about everything all the time. He is not legalistic because he is rich. He is rich because he is legalistic. His beautiful, logical mind, which is an excellent asset for analysis and innovation and negotiation, is a grave liability to the childlike faith that is necessary to follow Jesus into eternal life. For Jesus declares, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So the rich young man is imprisoned in this mindset. He wants to free himself and have eternal life. He really does, but he doesn't know how. He does not fully understand the nagging sense of lack that he feels. He feels disgusted with himself and he wants to flourish, but it is so very hard. He just knows how to achieve. He does not know how to experience. He just knows how to do. He does not know how to be. He doesn't know how to accept a gift, only how to pay. He doesn't know how to relate to people, only how to relate to things. To surrender that way of thinking will cause even more major storms in his life. He's probably thinking, I've come too far down this road to turn back now. I'm probably too old to change. What if? But knowing his heart, Jesus asks him to sell. Not because of wealth per se, but because of his mindset. And because Jesus knows how this mindset is confused by wealth and how it's cemented by wealth. Jesus wants him to hear his word and change the way he thinks. But he doesn't know Jesus enough to trust him. And he doesn't have the faith 
to seek understanding. He trusts his calculations and they lead him to reject the treasure in heaven. He does not follow Jesus because he thinks that the price is too high. So he leaves still feeling trapped in his uncertainty and fear. So what more would Jesus want him to hear that we might hear? Thank you that you didn't leave when he did. So you can hear what Jesus might want us to hear. So the first thing that I think Jesus wants us to hear is that we are not ready to hear. Those of us who follow Jesus have a tendency to think that we are better than the rich young man. After all, we have been with Jesus. When he said, follow me, we did. But look at Peter's question in verse 25. Peter says, we have left everything, Lord, and follow you, and followed you. What will there be for us? In other words, what's in it for me? Isn't he just like the rich young man? And so are we. So Jesus wants to help us to resolve the tension between keeping the commandments and selling our possessions. In Matthew, Jesus is the center of people's relation with the good God and the author of the law who makes eternal life possible. He is the goal and fulfillment of the law, satisfying humanity's need for an advocate. It was his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, Matthew 26, 28. His sacrifice surpasses the law and makes the impossible possible. So humans may have eternal life, enter the kingdom, and be perfect. Everyone may enjoy God's kingdom through repentance from sin, Matthew 4, 17. If the rich young man really kept the law, he would hear how to recognize sin and the impossibility of all his efforts to save himself. Jesus wants us to hear his word so that the law can be etched on our hearts to continuously transform us, to prepare us for eternal life in the kingdom. But unless we have the right attitude and understanding, keeping the commandments is worth nothing. Because a righteousness that comes from keeping the law only is not the formula to enter the kingdom. It cannot be detached from an internal transformation and from a relationship with the lawgiver. It is Jesus who saves, Matthew 20, Matthew 1, Matthew 26. But commandment keeping and deeds of service are required of his disciples. When Jesus says keep the commandments, he's calling the rich young man to a continuing relationship. When he says sell your possessions, he's saying that is how you keep the commandments because that will cause you to change and live a certain way in the world. To follow Jesus will lead us into a new and life-changing relationship along the path to eternal life. Although it was wealth that was the rich young man's factor that caused his disobedience, each of us is tempted to replace God with something which prevents full surrender. 
Jesus' encounter with the rich young man mirrors his encounter with each of us and challenges us to acknowledge and to sell whatever hinders us in a fully surrendered relationship. So you may not be rich or you may not be young, but you may have intellect and network and resources of one kind or another which prevent that fully surrendered relationship. The overarching spirit of God's law is obedience to his requirements out of a love relationship with him. The thing to do to have eternal life is for everyone to live in obedience to God's plan for salvation. So was the rich young man really required to sell his possessions in order to have eternal life? And are we? What Jesus wants the rich young man and us to hear in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 21, is to understand the intention of the commandments and how they function in practice. What the rich young man needs to do is to believe that God is indeed good and that with God, all things are possible. God is able to satisfy us with eternal life and whatever flourishing we seek, even if he asks us to sell your possessions. So if we're going to hear God, we're going to need to remain humble because we do not understand all the ways of God. We who live in Western society are presumed to think about everything in terms of money. So whether we're a believer or an unbeliever, we naturally imagine the world in economic terms. So if we're going to hear God, then we're going to need new minds. Like the rich young man, we take our economic thinking to the biblical text. But spiritual things are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And if we are really to hear God in his word, we must be willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit everything that we would take to the text. Our biases, our presuppositions, our reason, our experience, even our tradition— Every single time we approach the word. If the Holy Spirit is to really guide us into all truth, then we must allow him to change our darkness into light and our falsehood into truth. If we are really to hear God in the text, then we must believe that it is trustworthy, that it is true, and that the things that were written then are applicable now on us on whom the ends of the age has come. Jesus offers us clues how to hear God in the text. He says that if we're to hear the text, then we have to think about the text the way God thinks about the text. We have to think about reality the way God thinks about it. The, word, the authority of the word, the trustworthiness and truth of the word. We have to think about ourselves in his image that our worth and our value is not in how much we have, but in the fact that we are created in his image. We're not just homo economicus. We are God's created people. We have to think about the importance of relationship with each other and with him. And we have to recognize that he is a real and true and close God who is able to feel the feelings of our infirmities but who is far more powerful than we are to address them. 
As Seventh-day Adventists, we commit to a proper reading of the scriptures, we say, through what we call sola scriptura, the Bible alone. Scripture alone is sufficient. So we go to scripture first. We go to all of scripture. We use scripture to interpret scripture. And all of that we do with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And when we go to him, we must believe that he exists and that he will reward us if we diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. When we, th- when we think about reading the text, we always have to focus on who is in charge of my life. It's a never-ending struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And so it's going to take a lifetime of surrender to God. Moment by moment, day by day, regular wrestling with the word and trusting him to reveal himself to us. Whatever we hunger and yearn for, a surrendered search of the scriptures will will yield bread of life to satisfy our greatest need. If you would have eternal life, you must seek the kingdom of God first. Matthew 6:33. And choose between the narrow or the broad gate, 7:13 and 14. Building on the rock or the sand, 7:24-27. Confessing faithfulness for or against Jesus, 12:30. If you wish to enter into the kingdom, you must be willing to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. If you would be perfect, you must acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. In the storm, we often think that we know what the best outcome is for our life. So, When we go to the text, we look for comfort, not challenge. We look for something to soothe us, not stretch us. We look for therapy, not transformation. The rich young man tells us, his experience tells us, that our best efforts to flourish apart from Jesus only lead to dead ends, disappointments, and ultimately destruction. So when you go to the text, wait, don't walk away so soon. Jesus will explain. So today if you're struggling, if you're in a storm, remember that what is not possible with you is possible with God. And whatever God says when you go to the text, truly we can say with the psalmist, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Exalted be God, my Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Precious God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth. Please help us that our desires 
may be so anchored in your will that it will move, they will move us to action. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.